Justin for sharing that. I, I, just, I just love hearing, uh, hearing about what God is doing uh, among us. I think that's really important. Um, we're going through this series, a short series called uh, Dynamics of Faith. And um, I think a lot of faith dynamics, I'm not going to give a second sermon here, but a lot of like just having a dynamic faith is about just looking at what God is doing and just saying, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I want to I be a part of that. I want to I be involved in that. And I think we get so abstract in our faith so much, but we have to come back to reality. Um, and I think that's what God is doing as he, as he pours out the Holy Spirit, you know, in Acts 2 and says, this is like what's happening in the end times, like that prophecy from Joel that, that Peter tells the, pe- the people about what's happening, uh, that your, your young men will dream dreams, your old men will see visions and, and stuff like that. And, and God's just at work. That's, that's his nature. It's, he's, not, he's not just out there, some, some idea like holding the world together. He's, he's at work in the world. He's at work in the world, and we get to participate in his work. So I find that really exciting um, in that it's not <laughs> as simple as just noticing what he's doing and then just saying, okay, God, maybe I, should, maybe I could do something. Maybe I could respond in some meaningful way. Maybe I just share this with something. Like maybe it doesn't mean anything, but, but, or, or maybe it's just God trying to reveal good things and lead people and, and, and bring freedom in people's lives. Like there's so much that God is up to and we can partner with him in that. So I love that testimony and I hope that we have many more of these going forward. Um, and really that's, that's um, just, just the heart of it. That's really what we want to see happening. We want to see God moving. We want to see God changing us, transforming us, developing our faith. Uh, and I, I really want us to, what we're doing in this series is really considering this question. How do we grow in our faith? And how, especially over the long term, do we grow in our faith? How do we keep our faith vital over time? Because time is always the thing that kills relationships. It has the potential to kill relationships. You lack, you, you lose inertia, you lose forward movement, but like time, time does that. So we, we always need to be leaning into certain dynamics to continue to grow. Uh, because you know how it is, right? Over time, things slow down. Over time, like our, our attitudes cool off. We get care less about the things that we once loved. Over time, we get off track. And so what we're doing in this series is, is just thinking each, each week, uh, pointing to some spiritual dynamic, stuff that Jesus taught about, um, that I believe is going to help us continue to move forward. That if we pay attention to these things, that we'll be moving in the right direction. And this week, what we're going to be talking about is this, this third dynamic, growing in godliness. Growing in godliness, or growing in holiness, or taking on the character of Jesus. The, the, these thing, this, this calling that we have to really become like Jesus. That's what I want us to think about and focus on. Um, each week, I've, I've shared this quote from Dallas Willard, because I have to. I just this compulsion deep within me to share Dallas Willard quotes. Um, the main, this, the main thing that God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish, but the person you become. And I bring this up each week by doing this. I'm, I'm not, I, I am not so subtly asking you to consider the fact, what I think is the fact, that having a growing faith is a matter of becoming a certain type of person. Not doing a bunch of things, but having my, my, my inner self, my, my heart transformed. Now, where it gets hard, and it's kind of what we're talking about, and trying to get really practical here, where it gets hard is figuring out, well, like, like oh, oh, sorry, where it gets hard is figuring out the difference between those two things, right? Becoming a sort of person and doing lots of things. Because it doesn't take much thinking to come to the realization that in order to become a certain kind of person, I do have to do some things, 
is we live our lives, we, we do things, we act. That is what builds character within us and makes us into a certain type of person. So, yeah, becoming the kind of person involves doing things. So, so really then the question is, the thing that we're trying to figure out is what are the things that I can do that will actually lead me to become a renewed, transformed person? What can I do to grow in godliness, right? Because it's biblical, and we'll talk about it in a second. It's very biblical, the call to grow in godliness. It's something that we are involved in in some way. And we know it's not by checking off a list, but by really having a changed character. And Jesus was all about this because he was always talking to the Pharisees, right? If you know something about the Pharisees, they were this like religious group in Israel, um, and they really had a lot of lists, they thought their lists were going to be the thing that was going to really get them towards God. The Pharisees thought that, uh, they, that they knew God, and they knew that what God wanted from them was for them to uh, do the right things and, and to just check off boxes, right? And Jesus talks to them. He talks to them in Matthew 15. He corrects them. He says this, summoning the crowd, right? So he's gathered a crowd around him, and he says this, listen and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Now, this sounds kind of uncontroversial to us, but to the Pharisees, it really mattered because it sort of went against what they said. So this is what happens. Then the disciples came up to him and said, don't you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? And he replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They're blind guides, and if the blind, guide, if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. And then Peter said, explain this parable to us. Do you lack understanding, he asked, Jesus asked. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. Far, far from the, uh, for from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. The Pharisees had all these rules. Don't you know, wash your hands the right way in order to be holy. You've got to obey all these different laws in order, in order to be holy. That's what, what God wants from you. Jesus says, look, I mean, it's just not dealing with the real problem because the heart is the real issue. And Jesus is, is really publicly and, and really quite uh, decisively calling into question the whole enterprise of Phariseeism, the whole idea that God just wants us to check off boxes. Because the Pharisees were dedicated to the idea that if only they obeyed God's laws, well, as they understood them, then God would be satisfied with them. That's all that he wanted. And, I mean, truth be told, like, I'm a little sympathetic to the Pharisees. Like, I, I think we'd be kind of arrogant if, if we weren't sympathetic to the Pharisees, because the approach makes some sense. Because they looked at their history, they looked at, at, at the law, they looked at what, what God had done through, through their history, uh, they, they read the scriptures, they read things like Leviticus 19, 1 through 2, which is like right at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. God's giving commandments, and before he gives these commandments, he says this, speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. They understand that as a people, they have this calling to be like God, to be holy like God. And then, and then he follows that call up with these commandments. And so it kind of just is putting two and two together to think, oh, well, I guess I, guess I have to obey these things in order to be holy. That's what, what, what must be going on here. So they thought 
holiness is coming about by following God's laws carefully, right? So doing it the right way. So if they just learn a ton of self-control, and they do all the right things, and then they also enforce all the rules on everybody else, then they, as a people, will become holy. They'll achieve this holiness. That's what they thought. And for the most part, a lot of Jesus' ministry, certainly his interactions with the Pharisees, are about correcting some of their thinking. But it's a little more, more complex. He didn't just say, ah, forget about being holy. That's not at all what it is. He actually he affirmed that the Pharisees understood what God was trying to do. God was calling his people to holiness. God was calling his people to godliness, to be people who were devoted to him, who loved the things he loves, who, who were having their characters transformed to become more like him. Jesus was all about saying yes to that. But he was really clear with the Pharisees. You guys don't know how to get there. You're pursuing the right thing in the wrong way. Holiness, yes. Godliness, yes. But not like this. It's not going to work. And I mean, he gets to the point where he even says, you're like blind guides. You're just leading people off, but you have no idea where you're going. These people who are the most confident about the way to get there have put themselves up as guides, but they're just blind and they're leading people into pits and they're leading people into places where there, there actually is no, uh, no, no future there. Because the real problem, the problem that has to be dealt with to get to this place of holiness and transformation is in the heart. The problem is in the heart. You can restrain yourself on the outside all day long, but it doesn't deal with the root of the problem. That's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. It's like um, whack-a-mole. Have you guys played whack-a-mole? The best arcade game ever, right? It's how you get really buff. If you want to be buff like me, just play a lot of whack-a-mole. It does tire you out. But like the thing about whack-a-mole, <laughs> I'm telling you, it does. Think about whack-a-mole. Is no one, no one plays whack-a-mole and whacks all the moles and says, the moles are dead. You know the moles are coming back. Even if you hit all of them, they just go back down, but then they pop up again. That's the game. That's why whack-a-mole is fun, because you can't actually win. You never kill all the moles. You never kill all the moles. And really, I mean, like, like Jesus is basically critiquing their approach to spirituality, to holiness, and saying, you guys are just playing whack-a-mole. I mean, they didn't have whack-a-mole back then. They haven't, hadn't advanced as a society to, to develop whack-a-mole yet. They'll get there. Uh, right? Obviously, we, are, we have achieved the pinnacle of, of civilization here with whack-a-mole. Uh, so he's saying it's like, it's like, it's like whack-a-mole. It's just a game. They're just playing a game. The Pharisees are playing a game with sin. They're playing a game with sin. But it's not really going to achieve what they think it's going to achieve. Holiness, godliness, transformation. It's the goal. The mole does have to die. Sin does need to be dealt with. Character deficiencies of a bad heart do need to be dealt with. And holiness needs to take root. That is the calling of God's people. It's what he wants to do among us. And the call of God's people was and remains holiness, godliness, transformation, Christ-likeness. For us, who are following Jesus by his grace, by his mercy, not according to our works, but according to what he's done, who are invited into the, the kingdom where, where the Spirit is filling us and, and, and moving in our lives, and we are by faith coming into communion with God, we are still called to holiness. Still called to a transformed character and to live a transformed life. 
We don't just say, forget about that. We have grace. It's enough. Grace leads us actually into transformation. Grace will lead us when properly understood into godliness. You, you can't read the New Testament and miss that unless you are dead set on believing that it can't say it. And some people are. Some people are honestly saying, well, if grace is, then we can't have a call to holiness. We can't have a, a, a care about our lives and how we're actually living. I think that's bad theology. <laughs> Some of us are committed to misreading scripture that way. We think, well, if there's grace, then there can't be a call to holiness. Because we can't square our theology of sin, which needs to be serious, with the transformative call of God in our lives. So our thinking is something like this, right? We have some scriptures in our head, and they're good scriptures, like, like we believe what the Bible says about my heart, right? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Like, everything I do in my heart is like, it's like it just comes back. And Jesus is saying that, yeah, that's the problem. The problem is in your heart. He affirms that. And so, so, we, so we think sin is a serious problem, and it is. Sin is a serious problem. It is like, um, it, it creates this difficulty in us where we, we can't do the things we want to do. Like Paul talks about in Romans 7, sin does that to us. But we understand, okay, all right, I have this problem, sin. I have this desperately wicked heart, okay? This is good theology. These are good things to believe. And so we think, okay, well, so I have, I have a solution. It's a biblical solution, and it's the true solution. That's that Jesus dies on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. This is good theology. This is right things to believe. This is what the Bible tells me is true. So he dies to take away the penalty. And he pours out his grace and his mercy. He embraces me despite my deficiencies, despite my, my badness of my heart. He forgives me. And forgiveness is such a beautiful and true and awesome reality of the Christian life. It's indispensable. We can't talk about Jesus and what he's done without talking about the fact that he died for our sins to forgive us and welcome us into his life and to save us. This is 100% true. And it's not on the basis of what we've done. It's not... I'm not saved because I then turn around and become a good little Christian. I'm saved because Jesus died. And I can stay, stand secure in that knowledge till the day I die and trust in him, till the day I die by faith, believing, okay, this is what he did, and it's all what he did, and there's nothing more. Like, I can't make it better. I can't make it better that, that he died. Like, his sacrifice was enough. All of that is true. But then we start to think things that I think are wrong, right? We think, mostly because honestly, sometimes this is what we're told. We think, okay, well, that's it. I've been forgiven. Christians aren't perfect people. They're forgiven people. So true. Wonderful. And we think, oh, so I'm just done with this. I don't have to worry about how I live my life because I'm forgiven. So if I just go around and drink every night, it's fine. If I just sleep, sleep around, it's fine. If I just, you know, like steal from people, it's fine because I'm forgiven. And, I, and I, look, I, 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 can't, I can't dispute the fact that if I trust in Jesus and I put my faith in him, I am forgiven and I'm secure. But I can absolutely 100% say that that would be a great way to waste your Christian life. You don't waste your Christian life. Um, I'm forgiven so that I can become somebody different. God invites me to become somebody, a person who puts on the character of Christ. Think of it this way. I want to illustrate the difference between these two things with, it, with an embarrassing sports analogy. Whenever I give a sports analogy, it's embarrassing for me because I know how little I know about sports. 
and I know how much you probably know, and I know the difference is significant. So I'm just going to go lean into this and just forgive me. <laughs> forgive me. I'm going to lean into forgiveness here because I'm going to say stupid things. Um, but I'm in, that's a really good analogy. So it's like playing two-on-two basketball. I'm already embarrassed because I've never done that. I've never done that in my whole life. <laughs> For reasons that I think are evident, um, it's like playing two-on-two basketball. And like Jesus is, is picking his team, and he looks at you and says, I want you on my team, right? And a lot of us just say, oh, Jesus, I mean, I couldn't possibly like. I mean, really, I'm as bad as Trey Skinner uh, at basketball, so you wouldn't want me. I'm desperately terrible at basketball. And Jesus says, look, I get it. You're bad at basketball. But here's the thing. I want you on my team, and we're going to win because I'm really good at basketball. And so, you know, like, what do you have to lose? Like, you, you're going to be safe and secure. You're not going to be embarrassed by this game because you're going to be on the winning team in the end. I'm inviting you in. I've chosen you, and I am really good, and I will be good enough for both of us. We're winning the game no matter what, no matter how desperately bad you are at basketball, Trey. You're winning the game, so there's no pressure. And, and then, so, so that's, that's all good. Like, that's good. Like, this is, this is this, I think, a good, good representation of what it's like to be chosen by Jesus, to have a life with Jesus, to be saved by Jesus. But a lot of us then do this thing that is wrong. We say, okay, awesome, Jesus. I, I will. I, I'll accept your invitation. I'll be on your team. We just say, I'm just going to go sit on the bench. I'm just going to watch you be awesome at basketball. But here's, here's what really the Christian life is. Then Jesus looks at us and just says, no, 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 you're coming out on the court, and I'm going to toss you the ball, and you're going to hand it back to me, and you're going to set me up, and yeah, it's good. Like, we're going to actually play basketball. That's what the Christian life is. You play, Jesus does what he says. No, uh, he says he actually wants us on the court. He's going to pass us the ball. He's going to ask us to play. He's going to teach us. He's going to coach us. He's going to show us what it's like to live a life and to get better at basketball. Jesus cares about developing his character in us so that we can be people who are like him, who are contributors, who are a part in this life that we live with him. He doesn't need us. No, certainly not. I mean, like, we're not really adding that much, but he wants us to play. I'm not going to really make a huge difference to the outcome, but he still wants us to play no matter what. But I, I, Jesus, he has a plan to develop us as basketball players. There's my embarrassing analogy. A life with God is a life of being developed through participation with the Holy Spirit, with God himself, with Jesus working in our lives. We play along with him and we develop and we become different sorts of people. And that is an indispensable dynamic of faith. We grow in godliness. You are called, really, to become like Jesus. Not to, like, a level of perfection. We're not, like, don't take this whole heavy thing upon you. You're called to become like Jesus, and it's fun, and it's good, and it's great, and it's going to complete your life and give it meaning that it did not have before. Because now you have something to do in life. You get to play basketball. You get to grow in character. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10 tells us this. He says, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life 
and also for the life to come. See, we think about this relationship with Jesus. It's just about the life to come. It's about getting to heaven when I die so that I don't have to be you know, going to hell because hell sounds like a bad place. No, godliness, a life with God, a life that we're participating with God has promised for this life to come. There is something in your life that Jesus wants to do along with you and it's going to be satisfying and good. It is for this present life. And then he, he, like, to nail the point home, he just says, this saying is trustworthy. It deserves full acceptance, in case you were just like on the fence. <laughs> no, 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 really and truly, I really mean it, and you really need to embrace it. It is not only for the life to come, but you have a calling right now in your life to be godly. For this reason, we labor and strive. That's his whole purpose of Paul's ministry, he's telling Timothy, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. God is alive, he's working, and we're invited to participate with him now. And, now, and that's what Paul says is like his animating thing in life, the thing that makes him get up in the morning so that he can teach people this sort of way of living. He strives and labors so that people could know that we work with and participate in the life of Jesus Christ, the life of a living God. He's not dead. He's the God who's giving us dreams, right, so that we can go and share them with people and they can have transformation and we're being transformed as we see how awesome it is that he is alive and working in our lives. We don't have to just like guess all the time. He's participating with us in it. Some of us, and I can count myself in this crew for many times in my life, are bored with our relationship with Jesus. We are bored with it. And it's because we've stopped training ourselves in godliness. We're sitting on the bench and wondering, why is this so boring? Well, because you're supposed to be out on the court. It's a good thing to be on the court. So I'm told. <laughs> we forget that following Jesus is about being disciples and growing in godliness is beneficial. It's the substance of your life. It's the thing that's going to bring meaning. If there's going to be any meaning in your life as a Christian, it's going to be because you are growing in Christ-likeness. There's nothing else. There's nothing else in it, honestly. Being saved is great. That's for then. Like, I have this life secure in the heavenlies, like eternally secure. That is awesome and beautiful, but there's so much here right now. Great benefit to following Christ right now. We just have to get off the bench. We have to get in the game. We need to be clear about the game that we're playing. John, uh, in John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's clarifying some things. He says this. I really love this. John 15, 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask in my name, he will give to you. And this is what I command you. Love one another. Here Jesus is telling us exactly the sort of game that we're playing with him, the, exactly the aim, really the things that he's really asking us to do and what God is really asking us to get towards with all his laws and commandments. Love one another. This is the transformative thing that God is doing in our hearts. He's, he's, he's changing our hearts from selfish, uh, ambitious, self-focused, um, you know, just all about me, 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 into people who, whose hearts are, are, are transformed into love, to love like he loves. Here Jesus is telling us the game we're playing. He's chosen us. He's, he says, I picked you. I could have chosen all, anybody I wanted, but I picked you. You are chosen. And not only are you chosen, but you're appointed to something, some participative work in which you're going to produce fruit, fruit that will remain. 
It's not like you're just like some accessory to God's game. He says, I chose you and I want to be a part of it. I want you to be a producer on this team, putting up the buckets. I did it. See, this is how I shoot. I did this once and people laughed at me for months. Let's renew, renew the cycle. <laughs> this, is, this is me playing basketball. Um, and then he, so he's telling you, he wants us to produce, and then he gives us everything we need. Whatever you ask in, in the name of my Father, I'll give it to you. He says, like, you, just like, like, you need to participate. You need to be interested in producing fruit, and I'm going to provide everything you need. Yeah, all of your weakness, of course, accounted for. I will empower you, and this is my true commandment. I'm going to ask you to love each other. The Pharisees couldn't play the game because their hearts weren't in it. In fact, the game that they were playing was about keeping their hearts away. They weren't after love. They were after not messing up. So they just didn't play the game at all. They were playing whack-a-mole. But Jesus calls his disciples to get into the game, to love, and to be transformed. And, and so really growing in godliness is really about, it's like the, in terms of the practical application of it, it's about playing the game. It's about participating in the life that Jesus has and the things that he's doing. We participate. We play along with Jesus. Going into my life, listening to him, learning from him, growing, responding to him as he is working around me. And all that really comes down to, to extend the embarrassing sports analogy, it's to being coachable. We really need to be coachable. These are the things that we're learning and that Jesus is teaching his disciples to do. He's teaching them a, a type of lifestyle. He's teaching them a way of being, which is really about coachability. And anyone who has ever been a coach, someone who is not me, will tell you that there are things that make players coachable. Coaches don't need raw talents necessarily or natural strength. A good coach just needs a player with a few good attitudes, things that are associated with coachability in order to develop them. So what are those things? All right, I, I, these, these are the things I think. The first is humility. You need humility. Following Jesus requires humility. In, in fact, like it, it's, it's just like, there's no way to move forward with Jesus without humility because the things that Jesus teaches his disciples are perfectly suited to expose our lack of humility. If you're a person who's like, all right, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to be an everyday disciple. You are signing up to have your lack of humility exposed. That is all that it is, right? Okay, uh, this, is really, this is really so true. Uh, following Jesus, it requires humility. His way of living is, it, 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 you can't avoid getting humbled unless you're walking with Jesus. The, the things that Jesus taught his disciples to do are perfectly designed to bring about humility. Okay, so Luke 6, 27. Uh, this, is, this is really good. Okay, so here's some things that Jesus taught his disciples. And think about this. Could, this, could you do any of this without, without really getting or developing humility? I say... To you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit. 
Love your enemies, do what is good, lend, expect nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. To live as a disciple, to live with the intention of obeying what Jesus teaches people to do, is to live on a crash course with your pride. You can't do any of this without immediately being aware of one of two things. Either being aware of how awesome it is that God has put love in my heart where I didn't have love, because I, I, my enemies, right? Suddenly I find that I love them. Or being aware that I don't love my enemies. One of two things is going to happen. I'm either going to have developed that humility to the point that I, I can love those who, who are against me, or I'm just going to realize I'm so prideful. I really need humility. It's, it's, no, it's no wonder to me that we love to avoid Jesus's red letters. Because <laughs> he tells us to do stuff that's painful, that's embarrassing, that's humbling. Unlike the Pharisees who thought godliness was just about not doing things, Jesus tells the disciples, godliness is about love. It's not about avoiding hate. It's about actually loving. There's something substantive. I can manage, at least sometimes, not to cuss out somebody who cuts me off. But can I manage to love them? I, I do not oftentimes possess that. And taking up the call to love those who treat me badly will either harden my heart to the point where I sit on the bench, or it will humble me so that I can see truly what's going in my what, what's pouring out of my heart, and that it's not good. It needs that I need help. But this is how we grow in godliness. We live this kind of life that leads us on a direct crash course. Uh, to, to see what's in our hearts. That's what Jesus is telling. Live this way so you can see what's in your heart and then deal with it. How do we deal with it? Through confession. We just come to Jesus and we just say, yeah, Jesus, you've shown me because I've, you told me to live this lifestyle and then I lived it and then I found, yeah, you're right. My heart is full of not good things. And so now I'm just going to come to you, Jesus. I'm going to confess that. I'm going to lean on your grace once again. First John uh, 1, 9 through 10, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say, I haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. We come back to this habit of confession. If we're going to be developing the attitude of humility, this is how we put this into practice. We come, we confront the, the ickiness within, and we just say, Jesus, look, I call it what it is. I agree with you. This is not good. And so I'm just going to seek your power and your grace to transform my heart yet again. But it involves that coming back over and over again, being humble enough to understand what's really in our hearts and just asking him, confessing yet again, yet again, yet again, relying on his grace, his, his power to win the game yet again, yet again, yet again, to the point where it gets maybe a little embarrassing. And that's good. So we're humble. We're also, teachability is another important thing for, for any coach. The coach wants to see in any player, teachability. And really, I mean, teachability and humility are connected, right? You can't be teachable without being humble. But someone who is teachable is humble 
and they're also eager to learn. They're not just down on themselves all the time, but they're eager to get better. They believe that getting better is possible. They want to improve. They want to move forward. And it's, it, it, it's, it's so rare to see uh, those two things going together. I think we need to learn to pair those things together. Because the thing is, okay, uh, when we need to learn, usually we are very aware of our deficiencies. Like, so if we get exposed, our hearts get exposed, and we think, oh, man, I'm just not very good. Um, as we become uh, aware of our deficiencies, it's actually like really emotionally challenging. It's really emotionally challenging to look into your heart and to see, man, consistently, I'm just like, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm, I'm upset. Like, I go to, from, from zero to 100, like, in an instant. Like, where did that anger come from? It, it, is, it is embarrassing and difficult to look into my heart and to see those things. Um, and so most of us, uh, when we realize we're not, like, really, really, really skillful, um, we, just, we just sit it out. We just say, okay, I'm not going to play anymore. That's how I play basketball. That's why I don't play basketball. Because I know I'm not good. I'm like, I just don't want to embarrass myself. Like, I don't want to keep going. And I, and I really have very little expectation that I could ever get any better. Right? I, I just don't believe that I could get better. Because I don't really want to, honestly. But um, I probably could. It's, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus turned water into wine. He can make me a basketball player. <laughs> um, uh, but but the, the thing about, think about what God is up to, right? He, he's calling us to something holiness that we that we literally don't have a natural gift for we don't have a knack for it at all but he's still calling us to it and in calling that us he's supplying everything that we need he, he's sending his spirit as a helper that's what he says in, in john 14 15 he's talking about his saying it's good that i should go because then the holy spirit's going to come in the helper is going to come he's going to remind you of all the things that i've told you he's going to equip and enable and empower you to do the things that you can't do like like he's going to be present with you in your everyday life so, so god provides everything everything and he he's calling us he's calling us he's he's given us a call to be disciples he invites us in it's not just earn your place as a disciple it's anyone who wants to take up this yoke whosoever would follow after me can do that we're invited, we're called, and he provides everything that we need. And he has preemptively told us that all the forgiveness and patience that we require in order to develop, it's already guaranteed to us. So what do we have to lose except our pride? We need to be teachable. We need to be people who are learning and people who have a hope of getting in better, have a hope of being transformed, of seeing God's goodness in the land of the living and seeing him working in our life. And the habit that comes along with teachability that I think we all need to practice, it's repentance. And I, would, I put in parentheses, joyful repentance, because what do we think of repentance is normally like? I think it's like really a bummer. And it's always, oh, I messed up so bad. Oh, I have to repent. I have to repent. It's like, the, like in, in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about like godly sorrow that produces repentance and it produces like perseverance. And we think that's, that's most of our understanding of what repentance is, right? We think, okay, we get to the end of ourselves. We realize like, man, our life is just so messed up. We've really messed up our lives. And so we need to repent. But can I just tell you, I don't think that's the better part of repentance in the life of a Christian. I think joyful repentance is just as common and just as vital and that we need to stop. Like, okay, if you've messed up your life, come to Jesus, you know, messy-faced. It's good. Jesus loves that. Like, cry, you know, all, what is that? Messy crying? Is that what they say? It, that's fine. Jesus, Jesus loves it when we come, like, broken. But he also loves when we come as people who are just like, oh, man, I really just messed that up. 
Like, isn't it great that I have an invitation? Look at Zacchaeus, right? Uh, the Zacchaeus, you know, he was a wee little man. You remember that from Sunday school, right? Zacchaeus was this guy. I think I have the verse up here. I'm not actually going gonna to read it. But basically, Zacchaeus was this tax collector. He was a tax collector. Um, he was totally an outcast in, in, in his society. And one day he hears that Jesus is coming, so he climbs up a sycamore tree. I'm singing the song in my head, sorry. Uh, he climbs up a sycamore tree, and um, he's up there, and then Jesus, like, through the crowd, looks up at him and says, hey, you, come down here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to eat at your house. And, and, is Jesus, and, and, and Zacchaeus, like, repents. He, what he does, he says, he says, like, um, people were, like, bashing Jesus for going with this sinner, right? He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. He's this outcast. It says, just, just, it says this, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've exhorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come into this house. Zacchaeus isn't just like, oh, I'm the worst. I'm awful. Zacchaeus just like gets in, in Jesus invites himself over to his house. He, he, he lifts, Jesus is like lifting up this man, not treating him as an outcast, as somebody who's dirty, as someone who's so off. He just says, I'm just going to come in and eat with you. I'm going to like spend time with you. I'm not going to shame you for the things you've done. And Zacchaeus says, that's so awesome. You know what? I don't like, he doesn't, doesn't express any like, oh, total shame and oh, how awful I've been. He just says, look at this guy. He invites me into this new kind of life, and I'm just, just going to joyfully give away my old life. This is repentance just as much as sorrow, crying, I'm shameful, I'm upset, I've messed up my life. This is real repentance. This is a guy just saying, look, I, I, I see the wide open invitation of God to just change entirely who I am. And I'm going to joyfully take Jesus up on the offer to be with him. I'm just going to give away this old self that I was trying to be and this security that I was trying to achieve through, through money, through power. And I find that it's just not satisfying at all. And Jesus just comes and sits with me and I just say, you know what, Jesus, just take it all. It's, 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 and Jesus says that that's, that's where salvation is coming to this guy's house. We can joyfully repent. And part of this teachability is just us saying, you know, not, 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 not saying, okay, I'm just going to wait until Jesus really makes me feel terrible about something to the point where I'm just broken. But just saying, look, what is, what is the better way that Jesus is inviting me into in my life? I'll just take that instead. I'll give away all these other things. Like, I don't need to live after this false idea of who I am anymore. I can just joyfully live into the calling that I have in Christ. To just be a content person who's just giving, giving the best things I have away to my enemies and loving them. There is a call to joyful repentance. And the last thing, as, as the worship team comes up, the last thing that uh, I think is important for coachability is just commitment, you know? Because time wears, and over time, we just stop moving forward, stop moving forward in humility, stop moving more forward in teachability, um, and we just, we just lose our sense of what, <laughs> what we're really called to. We start to wonder, is this really worth it? The thing about getting better at basketball, I'm told, is that you just need to keep at it. You just need to keep it up. You just need to keep going back day by day. And, and it gets difficult and gets discouraging. But we need to keep going for it. When the disciples, um, early on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus starts to get serious with them, with the disciples. He starts to be like, you know, I'm going to teach you to do some things that are a little unpleasant. One time he's gathered a bunch of disciples together. He talks about how he's, basically they have to... <laughs> 
eat, eat his flesh and drink his blood, right? He's using this imagery of his sacrifice on their behalf. And they're just kind of weirded out by it. And the disciples say this. Says, Therefore, many of the disciples heard this. Oh, this is in John 6. And they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? Uh, then what if, if, if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to, to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh does not help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. And skipping ahead a little bit, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back, no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the 12, these 12 core disciples, do you want to go away too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Following Jesus over time, like it can get tiring, it can get, get fed up with it, the embarrassment that comes along with being humble and teachable. Uh, can tire us out. And then there's, you know, all the weird things that come along with church and, and then difficulties in culture, you know, perception that people have of you. If you're a Christian, suddenly they assume all these things. It's tiring. It's exhausting. But we just keep going back. You know, at some point, we just have to say to Jesus, look, you know, God, sometimes I, I, don't, I don't know how to really keep committed here. I don't know how to keep my, my head in the game and, and keep moving on to these things. But we, we come to a point in our lives where we, we come to crossroads, right? And, and in those crossroads, we're called to commit. And it's just like this kind of commitment that Peter's expressing here. I don't know, Jesus. To whom else could we go? What are the other options available to you? As somebody who wants to live a good life, a meaningful life, live a life according to, um, you know, something that, that, that's, that's valuable, right? That's, that's what we do as Christians. Like, like we're, we're, we're in this because we think, man, Jesus' way is better than the way I was in before. I just want to respond to what he's doing. I want to embrace the calling that he has for my life. And sometimes we're going to get to the points where, where it's just like, it seems hard, it seems difficult. And at those moments, we just need to say, all right, well, what are we in, in this for? We need to, to commit. And really, what are the other options? <laughs> what are the other options? I think a lot of people um, in seasons of difficulty, and, and you know, I've been, I've, been, I've been here, we start to cool. It's not like we're choosing something else. We're just choosing nothing. And in those times, I think it's awesome to just sit before Jesus. And let's do that right now. Let's just sit before Jesus for a second and just say these things. Lord Jesus, we don't know everything about our lives. We don't, we don't, know, we don't have the strength to keep going all the time, but you've brought us this far. And so I say, and probably people in this room say along with me, to whom else can we go? You have the words of life. Lord, it's, it's your gospel and your invitation that, that we found meaning in in the past and we want to be renewed in that. Yet again, oh Jesus, we put our lives before you. Yet again. Even in, in our, un, our, our, our uncertainty, God. In our awkward feelings, Lord, and in, in like 
Man, it's like a couple hard years behind us. Lord, we just sit before you and you just say, Lord, we believe you have the words of life. Lord, would you speak those things to us again? Lord, would you renew in us hearts that want to chase after you, Lord? Would you call us yet again to this work of discipleship? And Lord, meet us in it, Lord. Lord, would you meet us? Would we, we, we experience you as a God who is moving and acting Jesus, would you renew our commitment, Lord? Not not of ourselves, Lord, but would we just look to you and just see and hear your invitation to come back again, back again into your life to pursue godliness, Lord, to pursue all that you have. Quicken us, Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. No communion this morning, um, but why don't we just stand up and, and worship the Lord together for this this uh, this final song?